0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez, and this is a special listener business question and answer episode. I have gathered some of the great questions that many of you submitted through the listener survey, and I will answer a selection of those questions on this episode of The How of Business. The questions span a range of topics related to starting and growing a small business. And you can refer to the show notes page for this episode or the description of this episode on whatever device you are listening for an index with the times for each question in case you want to skip forward or come back to a particular question and answer. If you have not completed my listener survey, I invite you to please do so. I would greatly appreciate your input on how to make the How a Business podcast even better. You can find the link to the survey on my website at thehowabusiness.com. When you get to thehowabusiness.com, just go to the podcast page, which is on the menu at the top of the screen, and you'll find the link there to take the survey. The survey takes just a few minutes, and I'll be selecting questions from these surveys and providing the responses on these listener Q&A episodes. To receive more information about the Howa Business, including, again, the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show, And receive workshop discounts and join my monthly group coaching session through a Patreon membership. Please visit thehowabusiness.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to my show wherever you're listening so you don't miss any new episodes. So let's get into it. The first question comes from Nikita. Thanks for the question, Nikita. And the question is How to estimate overhead costs and operation costs when you're just starting with no prior experience? Where do you find such information? And I get it. This is a hard one, especially again, as you're saying, Nikita, if you haven't started a business before, which none of us have the first time we start one, right? So it is a challenge. And I think it takes a lot of work, a lot of research. You got to get help uh, where possible. But I would start by researching online and see what you can find there as to what kind of some of the general standard costs might be. Of course, it depends on the type of business, whether you're making something, manufacturing something. In other words, do you have raw material or cost of goods sold that are going to go into making something. Like if you're going to sell cupcakes, for example, then you're going to want to understand what goes into it. And then depending on what you're making or offering, what, what type of equipment or environment do you need to produce it, to make it, and to sell it? So certainly this must be a business that probably is a physical location where you're going to have to maybe again, spend money on equipment. You might have to spend money to finish out a space. You have other components, furniture, fix, uh, fixtures, those types of things. So you got to kind of take all of that into account. What I recommend is you approach this in versions and layers, and you start by creating a first version of your financial projections. Now you may have listened to that episode, but if you haven't, I encourage you to listen to episode 395 on financial projections for small business startups. And also, I invite you to join me for one of my workshops is on financial projections, my financial projections online workshop. And you can, of course, find the episode as well as information for the workshop at the website, thehowabusiness.com. So research uh, other owners, so developing uh, relationships with other owners, And they may be willing to share some of those numbers. You know, initially people might be hesitant, but I think if you develop a relationship with an owner or maybe you know someone, especially if they're in another market where you're not going to compete against them, they may be more likely to share with you than otherwise. There might be industry associations or groups, depending on what industry you are looking at, that may have some of this information. So, either going to their website, they might share information there, or attending one of their events. That's often a great way to get information. Related to that is, depending on the business, whoever you will buy materials from or buy equipment from, those vendors, those distributors for that business often are also a great source of what those operating costs and overhead costs might be. Of course, getting a mentor or a coach, you know, I help my clients with. That gathering that type of information, I I leverage my experience and my knowledge from my businesses and the businesses that my clients have started. But get get a mentor or a coach. You can also leverage a CPA. So an accountant or a CPA likely has experience with similar small businesses and can give you some guidance on what your overhead costs and operating costs might be. For some components, you might want to get a quote, for example, for insurance. At the appropriate time in your process, you're going to estimate how much insurance would be. We're talking about liability insurance here. And then you may want to get a quote to see what it really will probably cost you on an annual basis for insurance. When it comes to lease rates, if you're going to lease a space out of which you will operate your business, you can certainly start preliminarily by going to sites like LoopNet or calling landlords, calling the, the brokers for landlords and start, starting to get an idea of what the rates are on that space that you need to lease. And then you can extrapolate in your market, if you know, let's say the going rate for the type of space you need is $20 a square foot, and you know you're gonna need about 2,000 in uh, square feet in space, then you can calculate a good estimate on that overhead expense. When it comes to labor, if you're going to employ people then that where I start with that is by calculating how many hours and how many people do you think you'll need to get started with? What will you need to pay them? And then usually I add about 10% to that amount of wages to uh, account for payroll taxes, assuming that you're going to bring them on as W-2 employees. So those are some ideas for you, Nikita. Hopefully that helps you. Again, what I recommend is that you start with the first version of your financial projection, identify, at least identify all of those different categories, all of those different overhead costs and expenses that you're going to have to operate the business, and then begin to gather pieces of it as you progress through your planning and get closer and closer to deciding if it makes financial sense. And that's what the financial projections is all about. It's about gathering all these numbers, determining how much you will need to get started, determining how much working capital you'll need to get you through that ramp-up period to break even, and does it make sense? Does this investment make sense? Does the business model make financial sense? So again, I encourage you to listen to episode 395 if you haven't already, and also look into potentially attending my next Financial Projections online workshop. Question number two comes from Jamie. Jamie, thanks for submitting this question. The question is, how do you know when and how to prepare for hiring your first assistant or virtual assistant or employee, how to hire that first person to support a solopreneur? So that's a big question. So I'll begin to address it, Jamie, by speaking to what is a challenge, which is how do we determine that we can afford and that it makes sense to invest in an employee? And that's there's no easy or straightforward answer. I think you have to look at, of course, the financial component of it, but also what I refer to as the opportunity cost of it. In other words, what could you delegate to someone else that would allow you to focus on what brings most value to the business, whether that's selling the next opportunity or taking care of the customer or delivering on a service. What are those things that you could be doing from a sales and marketing perspective or delivery perspective that you can't get to because you're busy with the administrative tasks, for example, or making the product uh, as another example. So we have to think about that, but we have to consider the financial uh, components of it as well. Similar to my answer to the first question, you want to think about this in your financial projections as you are planning to start your business or if you've already started your business, then you want to financially plan and look forward projecting your growth and your expenses to try to estimate when you can budget for, when you can afford to bring someone on. I would start also as far as helping me decide when it's time, one thing I would start with is to make a list of all of those tasks that you're performing now that are of lower value, those repetitive tasks that could easily be delegated to someone else. You don't have that person right now, but start identifying those. And as you identify those, keep a, keep a list of them and track how much time you're spending on those tasks, maybe on a weekly basis. What that'll do is that'll start to give you an inventory of how much time you are spending on those things that you could delegate to someone else. And then you can start to do the math of, if I hire a virtual assistant, let's say at $10 an hour or $20 an hour, it just depends on the type of assistant and and where they are in the world, then What would that cost me and what would it allow me to do? What's the opportunity that now I have? So uh, what else could you be doing with that time that would be more valuable, more profitable? And so that's when it starts to make sense as you put together that math. There's no hard rule on this, and I know this is a challenging thing, but it is a combination of when am I ready and does it make sense and is it costing me in lost opportunities because I'm bogged down with doing repetitive tasks. There's different ways to approach this, right? I think that you wait until you absolutely have to bring on a W-2 employee if at all possible. So I would focus on at what point does it make financial sense for you to begin to delegate some of those repetitive and low value tasks. I really encourage you to think about outsourcing certain things first. So for example, your bookkeeping, the transactional components of your financials, you might outsource that to a bookkeeper. Marketing is another one. You might outsource to a marketing agency to manage your marketing activities. Let's say your digital marketing activities, your social media, your your Google ads, or whatever it is that you might be doing in the way of marketing. You could outsource that and that could free up considerable time for you and allow you to focus on what, what's best for the business, what moves the business forward. So consider starting there. And then as I mentioned, I would go to perhaps considering a virtual assistant. It's a great, way to offload a lot of tasks for not too much investment and you can end it at any time. A lot easier than letting go of an employee. So think about starting with a virtual assistant, maybe a subcontractor, if that makes sense. Just be careful that you're not treating uh, what should be an employee as a subcontractor just to avoid payroll taxes. You can get yourself in trouble there. So make sure you consult with your CPA on that. So that's how I would look at it. So what revenue mark also... Do you have to grow to, to be able to afford this new hire? And that goes back to financial projections to project out that when you get to a certain revenue and a certain level of profitability, now you can afford to reinvest, if you will, some of that profit into a resource so that they take some of the th- these things off your plate and you can now focus on moving the business forward or generating more revenues. As it relates to virtual assistants, I have a couple of episodes I wanna point you to that you may not have listened to episode 299 of the Howa Business podcast on virtual assistance with Nate Hirsch, and episode 238, virtual assistance with Barbara Turley. Those are two episodes that'll help you learn more about virtual assistance. Jamie, if that doesn't fully answer the question, I invite you to uh, send me a message. You can either post a message or a comment on the show notes page for this episode or submit it through the contact us page at howabusiness.com. Question number three was submitted by Jason through the listener survey. Thanks, Jason. And the question is, how does a startup, a small business startup, craft a three-year P&L, a profit and loss, that isn't all smoke and doesn't lead to a business overestimating sales. And of course, Jason, that is one of the big challenges and one of the common mistakes that I see that people make in putting together their financial projections. So you need to be realistic about that and try to validate it as much as possible. So what I encourage people to do is to follow a structured and rigorous approach to creating those financial projections and go in iterations, as I've mentioned already a couple of times here in the previous two questions, do it in in state, or versions of those financial projections. When you're early in the process of planning, it's it's a lot more vague. But as you get closer and closer to making a commitment, to making a go decision moving forward with the business, you, know, you start to look into a loan or getting close to signing a lease for a space, then those financial projections need to be rather uh, vetted and uh, multiple versions of it created so that you have a high level of confidence that you're being as uh, realistic as possible with those projections. Get input. I think that's the most important thing. If you feel like you've done the best you can on research, you're estimating the best you can, but you're not sure... Then get input, get input like from a coach like myself, or a mentor, or your CPA, or other business owners. Have multiple people take a look at it and give you a sanity check, a reality check. That's, I think, the most important thing. The other thing that I like to do, if you are concerned about it, is to stress test your projections. So create your first versions based on a best case scenario or you know middle case scenario, and then uh, reduce the projections on sales by 20% in year one and see. What that does to your formulas. The biggest thing you touch on it, there's two big things that I see that often people make a mistake on overestimating sales, but also overestimating how quickly they will generate those sales. So that ramp up time is critical. I would rather that, of course, as you're alluding to, that you err on the side of being pessimistic on how quickly you will ramp up. So those first few months in business, you're probably not going to sell as much as you will 12 months from now, right? So a Allow for a realistic ramp up and stress test that to see what impact it has on your projections. As I mentioned previously, I'd invite you as well to listen to episode 395 of the How a Business Financial Projections for Small Business Startups and join me if you haven't already for my next financial projections workshop where we walk in detail through how to create these financial projections. But to summarize, the biggest takeaway for you, I think, on this question is to get input, to get validation, to have other people who know what they're doing, they've done it before, to give you some feedback on the numbers. And that could be a coach, a mentor, a CPA, other business owners, and make sure that they challenge you on your projections. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, Zinch. Zinch has been providing fast and convenient financing solutions for small business owners since 2004. Running a successful small business requires developing partnerships, especially partners who can provide the financing you need to run and grow your business. That's why you need Zinch, a direct lender tailored to small and medium-sized businesses that makes loans simple, fast, and flexible. And Zinch can approve up to $250,000 in under two days. With Zinch, you don't have to wait months like you may have to for a traditional bank loan. Whether you're dealing with unplanned equipment repairs, a big bill you didn't expect, or the cost of expanding and hiring new employees, Zinch knows you must act fast, and their specialists will help you choose the best solutions for your needs. There are no commissions or third-party approvals, so Zinch can give you better, better rates, faster approvals, and keep your information secure. Get financing the easy way with Zinch. And for a limited time, Zinch is waiving your application fees for my listeners. That's a $250 value. Just visit financingthatworks.com to learn more. That's financingthatworks.com. Loans made or arranged pursuant to a California finance lender's law license. Question number four is an interesting one from Daryl. Thanks, Daryl, for submitting this question. What are the paths to acquiring a small business or businesses that are not for sale, currently not for sale. How to approach an owner and ways to get them to consider your interest in buying their business seriously. This is a tough one. It's an interesting one. That's why I wanted to tackle it here. I have some thoughts for you to consider. This is a challenging one, of course, but initially what I would do is I would try to make some kind of connection with that owner. Ideally, they're in in the business at some point in time. I'm assuming maybe ideally it's a type of business that I can walk into or visit that's easier of course, Otherwise, it'll be harder to make that connection. So if it's a business where the owner is accessible, then I would uh, become a customer of that business if possible. I would try to strike up a conversation with the owner, get to know them a little bit as a customer, and then approach them once you've developed some kind of rapport, approach them, but at the right time for that business. Let's say it's a restaurant as an example. I'm not gonna go in there in the middle of the lunch rush and try to get some time with that business owner. That's not gonna happen. So keeping that in, mind, try to approach to see if they wouldn't be open to sitting down with a cup of, for a cup of coffee or whatever the case might be to talk about business. I have found that most business owners, if you approach them the right way, are more than, more than uh, willing to talk about business. Now, if it's a type of business that doesn't have a public facing component to it, it's not a retail location, maybe some kind of manufacturing business or some other type of service business where you can't just walk into the office, that's a little bit more challenging. But you could still try to make contact, find out through research or by calling and asking who is the owner. And uh, maybe call them up. Now, it might seem out of the blue and it, it, you might not get a positive response. But again, you'd be surprised as to how if you approach it the right way and you phrase it the right way, they might be willing to talk. The other way to connect with people is to find out where they network, where Where do they uh, meet or gather. For example, a local chamber of commerce or an industry association. So I would find out if they're a member of a local chamber or some other organization that you could also join. And I think it needs to be genuine on your part that you're joining that organization for more than just that. But that is where possibly you could then develop a genuine relationship with that person and begin to approach them on this topic. When we got into the salon business, the salon suite business, which for those of you who may not know what that is, think of it as executive suites for uh, beauticians, for hairstylists, for nail technicians, for massage therapists. It's really a property management business. And we ended up operating, we bought two existing salon suites and owned them for six years very profitably and then sold them. But the way that we came to buying this business, these businesses is rather interesting. We had identified that this was a business we were interested in. And I was connected through my business partner, David Began, a friend of his, owned these two salons that I'm referring to, but they were not for sale at that point in time. We actually engaged them and because of the mutual connection, which is another way to possibly connect with someone, right? Somebody makes an introduction, which was the case here. So my, my business partner and friend, David Begin, introduced me to the owners of these two existing salons. And then we ended up hiring them as consultants to help us open our own salon. And in that process, I don't know, a couple of months into that process, they were working with us on trying to find an ideal location which wasn't easy as for with a lot of businesses. But after we had developed a relationship and a rapport and they got to know what type of business people we were, they decided to offer to us, hey, what if you buy our business? So again, it was not a business that was for sale, but in developing that relationship, they came around to thinking, well, maybe we are ready to sell our business. So that's one way that I've gone about it. It wasn't planned, it just worked out that way. So so to summarize, I, I would... Look for how to connect with that person, either in a social or business setting, if I'm not able to directly connect with them at their place of business, and try to build that relationship. I have a whole series of podcast episodes, as you might know, on buying and selling a business. So just when you go to thehowabusiness.com and go to the podcast archive page, go to the grouping of episodes that's called Buy or Sell, and there you'll find several episodes on buying a small business. So here is the fifth and final question for this episode. And the question is from Josh. What tips or tricks can you share on staying focused on the most important tasks? I love this question, Josh. This is such a a big question and and topic that we are all challenged with. You know, I've been a business owner for a number of years, and, and I think I'm pretty good at managing my time, but I'm always trying to get better at it and there are days, certainly, and even weeks when I don't do so well. I want you to realize and understand that these are habits that you are developing or replacing bad habits or less productive habits with. So it takes... Uh, it takes discipline to develop these new habits. You really have to work on it. And I think it's an incremental thing. So I'm always looking for a slightly better way to do it, a slightly different technique. And over the years, I've developed my systems for how I manage my time. But there are some some great general practices that I want you to think about beginning to apply to help you to focus on what's most important. And that is the great question, Josh. and, And for all of you, it's really the question i I want you to ask yourself, as you plan your week, what is most important? What's most important next? And prioritize those top, really two to three, maybe five things, that would be a lot, that are most important. I'm not talking about your to-do list. I'm not talking about everything else that you have to get done or everything that's going to be thrown at you this week or all of the fires that you're going to have to address throughout the week or the questions that you're going to have to answer or customer problems that arise. All of that is going to happen. The challenge is, do we allow that to control and hijack our entire week? And I understand how that happens. Often also we get to a point in business ownership where we think that is our role. And perhaps that is the case depending on the type of business or the situation that you're in. Certainly it's much more the case early on in the startup stages of our small business where you're having to take care of everything. But I can assure you that chaos can come under control and it must if you have any chance of scaling and growing your business. So you have to start applying time management skills. Some of us come to business ownership with some of those strong time management skills and others do not. Or we might come from it from a corporate background where we had good time management skills, but it's a very different environment when we're running our own business and we're responsible for everything. So here are the initial tips that I would recommend. And then you build on them from here. Plan your week. Whether it's Monday morning or Sunday evening, whatever works best for you, I want to challenge you to allocate thirty minutes at most. As you get better and better at this, it'll take you less time. But 30 minutes to take a look at your calendar. And so that's one component here from a technology or tool perspective. What calendar tool do you use? Even if it's paper-based, that's fine. I happen to use my Outlook calendar. Some people like their Google calendar. Some people like the calendar on the phone. I, I don't care what tool it is as long as you're using something. And that calendar, you use that calendar tool to schedule all of your appointments and other commitments, including your personal commitments like family time or exercise time or just downtime, thinking time. All of it is on your calendar. The way I look at it is if it's not on my calendar, it's not going to happen. And I'm talking about those scheduled activities, a phone call, a meeting, a a particular event, a place I have to be, again, whether it's business or personal. Everything goes on the calendar and you're taking a look at that at the beginning of the week. And then what you're going to put into your calendar is time blocks. So, it's been called all kinds of different things, but the idea of time blocking is really powerful and effective. And that is where you're going to allocate blocks of time on your schedule, on your calendar. And that is when you're going to work or make progress on those most important activities, those highest priority tasks or projects that you know you need to get done at the beginning of the week, those most important things. And by allocating time to it, you're more likely to get to it, at least make some progress on them, and not instead it's Friday, the week has gotten away from you, and now maybe hopefully you'll have the energy to tackle it this weekend. Sometimes that's the reality of being a business owner, but it should be the exception, not the rule. And I assure you that you are, as hard as it might be to admit, the source of the chaos. If you're the business owner, you also can control this. It'll take time. This is a habit. It'll take discipline. If you have a team, you'll have to show them how you're going to do it now. You're going to have to set an example. You're gonna to have to kind of retrain them and how they get access to you, perhaps. But all of those things are possible and necessary so that you can be more productive and so that you don't burn out. So that initial meeting for with yourself, it's, it's a meeting, but it's a scheduled time to plan at the beginning of the week. You're looking at your calendar and you're blocking out time blocks to work on your most important things. And you're deciding also, what are those top three things? You're prioritizing from your to-do list and your project list, what are the top three most important tasks or projects that you're going to work on this week. Now, you might be working on a big project that's going to take a number of hours or a number of meetings or a number of phone calls or input from other people, so it's not realistic to say I'm going to complete project ABC this week. What I want you to identify is a granular component, a step, a task, progress, if it is a project like that, that you will work on. And what I want you to think about and do with the time blocks is to make these time blocks no more than one hour, maybe two hours if you really think you can protect that. And I want you to start, if this is something you have not done before, block out one or two one or two hour blocks of time on your schedule for the week. And that's when you're going to work on these most important items, these most important tasks. Don't try to change it all at once. If on Monday mornings, for example, you know that right now the way it works in your environment is your team needs you to answer questions or to deal with issues or fires, then I want you to allocate that time early so that you can plan the week. But don't put a focus block on your schedule on a Monday when you know you're going to have low probability of protecting that time. The other thing I want you to bring into it is when is your best time? Are you best in the morning, early, first thing, before everybody gets there? Or are you more of a night owl like I am? See if you can't block out these times when you can bring the best of you, the best focus to that effort on those most important tasks. What are the takeaways here on tips and tricks on staying focused on the most important tasks? And I want to challenge you to plan your week, use your calendar tool to represent all of your commitments, time block on your calendar, starting small, one or two, one or two hour blocks, depending on what's realistic for you. Schedule those blocks on your schedule where A, you can bring the best of you. And also it has to be tempered by when can you get more likely less interrupted time. Now you're going to have to enlist, if you have a team, you're gonna have to enlist those people that are used to accessing you at any time. You're gonna have to tell them today between one and 2 p.m. I'm not to be interrupted unless the place really is burning down. I have a series of time management episodes. So if you go to the podcast archive page at thehowabusiness.com and then look for the time management episodes, I have several episodes on this topic that I think you'll find helpful. Do you want to submit a question for my next Q&A episode? I invite you to do so by completing my listener survey. And again, you can go to the howabusiness.com, go to the podcast page, and there you'll see a link for the survey. You can also just comment in the show notes page if you've got a question or feedback or a follow-up question on any of the questions that I covered here. Also, I also invite you to subscribe to my email list if you haven't already. That's how most of you got the link to the survey and that's how I usually communicate news about the Howa business. Thanks again to all of you who completed the listener survey and submitted these great questions. I wish you the best as you either start or grow your successful and profitable small business. This is Henry Lopez and thanks for joining me for this special episode of the Howa business. I release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts including the How of Business YouTube channel and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.